Hello, and welcome to a chat with Anat. I'm your host, Professor Anat Lowenstein. In this podcast series, I'm joined by internationally renowned colleagues to discuss key topics of interest in enhancing care and optimizing treatment of our patients with neovascular macular degeneration. Today, back by popular demand, I am joined again by our very first guest in the series, Professor Richard Gale. This time, we will be discussing how having a better understanding of our patients' perspectives can help optimize treatment adherence, visual outcomes, and overall well-being. Professor Richard Gale is a professor of ophthalmology at Hale York Medical School, University of York in the UK, as well as honorary consultant medical ophthalmologist at the York Teaching Hospital. He is also a fellow member of the Barometer Program's Global Leadership Coalition. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Anat. Um, it's a pleasure to join you again. It's always great to talk to you. And I'm so pleased that we're talking uh, again on this really important day, World Mental Health Day of 2022. So I look forward to our conversation. Thank you. In the present episode, Richard and I will be discussing how patients' emotions, experiences, and perceptions related to anti-VEGF treatment can influence their treatment adherence and persistence, and how, despite this, the patient's perspective is often not considered during clinical management of neovascular AMD by their caregivers. We will chat about a recently published review paper co-authored by a group of international experts, including Richard and myself, which highlighted that the topic remains poorly represented in the published literature. And we will also touch on using a coordinated holistic approach to balance the visual outcomes and the patient's well-being. Richard, let's start by discussing the ongoing lack of evidence in this very important area. We do see differences in the improvements achieved with anti-VEGF agents in randomized controlled trials versus in real-world studies, which have been linked to under-treatment in routine clinical practice. Could looking at patients' perspective and experiences of treatment help tackle this issue? What a great opening question, Anat. Uh, thank you for that. I think the easy answer is yes, but the, uh, the more complex answer we'll go into. We know that under-treatment in routine clinical practice is and can be associated with a, an array of complex issues that patients are facing, such as behavioral, environmental, and logistical barriers. And often we struggle to consider these in our busy clinics. But focusing down onto this uh, particular area, we can see that published reports on the emotions, the experiences, and indeed the perceptions of patients with neovascular AMD receiving anti-VEGF treatments, in fact, remain limited. And thus the insights needed to pinpoint and overcome these barriers are somewhat lacking. And in that, you know, this is why initiatives such as the Barometer Program are so important, when numerous work streams aim to fill the gaps in understanding and developed an evidence-based recommendation. And one of those is the ongoing global survey that the barometer is involved in at present. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that uh, the fact that it, it's been shown again and again that we do not take the patient's emotions and experiences uh, and perceptions under consideration or not enough do so is really a major barrier to give them the appropriate treatment needed. At the end of the day, if the patient is non-persistent and non-compliant, even if we'll give him the best treatment possible, we will not get to the best outcomes. Uh, he will not come on a timely manner. He will miss appointments and so forth. So it's really crucial to go deeper into this as we are doing in our barometer efforts and also uh, like you did in uh, your, in your uh, research. Richard. Yes, I absolutely agree. And uh, within those busy clinics that we all uh, we're all part of, it's it's often easy to forget that that OCT is attached to an eye, and that eye is attached to a person, and the person is attached to a life with a, a social circumstance, and and all those troubles and difficulties that people may may experience. So um, really important, uh, really important topic, and I'm so pleased that we are highlighting it. Yeah. So. Um... As uh, we mentioned at the start of this episode, a, a systematic review of the literature on patient experiences of neovascular AMD and anti-VEGF treatment has been recently published in uh, the journal ACTA. If any of the listeners, listeners would like to check it out, please follow uh, the link in the notes. But Richard, this was your publication, uh, your idea, your major efforts, and you are, of course, the lead uh, author. Uh, could you please detail a little bit more for us on that paper? Yes, of course, Anat. Um, it's, uh, it's very nice. Of course, I was the first author and lead author on this, but this was a collaborative effort from many, many people. And it's, it's really important to recognize that this is a, a great work. The systematic literature review was conducted really to consolidate the existing evidence regarding patient reported outcomes and, and mental health and caregiver burden in patients with neovascular AMD treated with anti-VEGF. And again, this was in routine clinical practice. So back to the point we talked to before, sometimes the randomized controlled trial setting is, is somewhat false. So we really need to understand What's, uh, what's happening in the real world and with clinical effectiveness. And in that, you, you may not be surprised to hear that, in fact, by conducting this piece of research, this review, we actually demonstrated that we need more research and more input to inform a coordinated and a holistic approach to this type of patient care. And in fact, a patient and physician dialogue, which is also key in optimizing both patient and well-being and visual outcomes, is also very important as well. So the exercise uh, highlighted that the most recent search was conducted, as I say, often in a trial setting, particularly within North America and Western Europe. Instead, we really need to consider further research, uh, particularly in a, an international longitudinal method, uh, and particularly focusing on middle and low, lower income resource countries, as these are underrepresented. And this will give us a broader picture of the, uh, the well-being uh, and the burden that patients uh, experience uh, across the world. Yeah, I, I think uh, this is a major issue. And uh, I think that uh, it's very important to understand, as uh, like you actually highlighted in your publication, 
uh, that was just mentioned, that there are many challenges when we try to look at the what the disease is causing in terms of quality of life. And it has been shown that um, some of the tools that are used for quality of life, uh, you, it was shown in this paper, are actually not the, the, the exact tool that should be used and that they're measuring not necessarily uh, what is happening exactly in AMD patients. Uh, in AMD patients, maybe a more composite score is needed to really understand how much we impact the quality of life of, life of the patients uh, and the disease impacts their quality of life and the treatment impacts their quality of life. Having said that, it has been shown time again and again that the, the decrease in quality of life in patients with neovascular macular degeneration is not much lower or even is very similar to, to the decrease in patients with a major event such as a stroke. Uh, so it's a very, a, a very important point in this regard, in my opinion. Um, we do need probably to look at it maybe a little differently. And that was all highlighted in your publication reference, referenced here below. Yes, I agree. And uh, as, you, uh, as you very astutely alluded to, often these tools that we look at and we, we hold in high regard, are difficult to understand what they're actually measuring. So the most common tool is the NEIVFQ25 and probably the most validated tool. But can we really say that as a composite score, as a global score, is it truly measuring eye disease? Or in fact, is there an influence through socioeconomic circumstance? So there's a lot more work to do in this. Um, but of course, it's not easy to develop these tools. They require validation um, and they require testing in, in uh, large real world uh, populations. But hey ho, this is where we are at the moment. And it's actually a really important finding that that we haven't got all the information that we require and we should strive to get better information. Yes, so, so there are a lot of limitations, but still there is literature, there is, there is a lot of literature about it. And there, there are some things that have been shown in AMD. So what happens actually uh, in terms of quality of life along the course of the management of the patient. So, you know, there are stages, the stage of the diagnosis and then the stage of the treatment. And uh, so how, you know, at the beginning of the treatment and then uh, when the patient realizes that actually that's what he will need to go through almost all his life. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, the, the quality of life indices, uh, particularly NEI VFQ25, will initially show often an increase. So an increase in quality of life after initiation of treatment. And perhaps we may have then anticipated a continual slow improvement, perhaps um, even stabilization. And actually what we do find is the latter, that we get stabilization of quality of life rather than a further increase. Now, that's really important because first of all, we're not returning quality of life completely to what we may feel is normal for age match controls but we are preventing what we feel is the natural history, which is a reduction in quality of life. And, and actually we do have to go back to the clinical trials for this. So if we look at Anchor Marina and the two years outcome of quality of life, it does decrease over time. So perhaps we need a, a little shift in our mindset that actually stabilization of, of quality of life in the long term is uh, an, an achievable goal. We know that anxiety and depression were indeed very prevalent in, uh, in patients. And, 
And this is something our patients really just don't talk about or, or perhaps we don't ask them about. So and maybe, some, we should, maybe we should ask them about. Of course, of course we should. Um, you know, back to that point that we have a, a patient at the end of our eye and the end of our OCT scan, we, we should, because this may well affect persistence and adherence. They're, they're so prevalent, in fact, that one particular study, Australian studies, suggested that depressive symptoms or depression may be occurring in up to 40% of our patients. And, and anxiety, perhaps not the surprise, occurs anywhere between 20 and 50% of our patients. Which is not surprising as a matter of fact. It's not, but you know, and that despite this, despite this, patients are typically still willing to continue their treatment. Yeah. And that's largely because they recognize that injections preserve uh, their eyesight and the alternative of reducing vision, losing vision is, is much, much worse. Yeah. So, you know, I think what we mainly discuss now is all the problems that we have with assessing the situation of our patients. But now we have many listeners usually to these chats. And uh, do you have any practical advice for our listeners to be that something that they can be, begin to implement right away to have more of a patient focused approach in our very busy clinics? You know what everyone is talking about, patient centric care. But uh, how can we actually uh, start to do it now right away? Some, some helpful hints. Yes, yeah, so a couple of key, key things, a couple of areas of low-hanging fruit that could be grabbed uh, quite easily. And I think the main thing is to talk about this amongst our teams so there's a recognition that this is, this is an issue that, um, that we all need to understand. In terms of actually treating a patient really considering the voice of that individual patient. So whether they are saying, look, my priority is to, of course, maintain vision, but reduce the amount of treatments or perhaps the amount of visits. And we know through this literature review that treat and extend over PRN approach is beneficial, often, often uh, highlighted by patients as reducing burden and, and often uh, mentioned by caregivers as, as reducing burden on, on, on that uh, population as well. So considering a treat and extend over PRN is, is a practical aspect. Um, the other aspect is really to consider having some check-ins. And by that, I mean, perhaps once every six months, being able to have a slightly longer consultation if possible, and to be able to just check in on the emotional well-being and, and the progress of, of that individual. Where does their treatment fit in their, in their life? And, and perhaps in that, you know, perhaps as, uh, as a consultant or a leader within the clinic, that time is very scarce. And, and maybe that role can be passed over or filled by someone else in, in the clinic if, if you don't have time to do that. And then the final thing is, really to listen to caregivers as well, because what we also know from this uh, review is that caregiver burden can often be a barrier for the patient attending. So if the caregiver either doesn't understand the importance or perhaps have barriers that are not being solved for attendance, that can directly affect the patient. So this is about appropriate treatment strategies, but also listening and communicating. So if I need to sum up what you said in one sentence, it would be to make the patients uh, 
uh, with AMD a priority to put them in the center. It's all very, uh, you know, uh, acceptable points and things that all of us believe in, but uh, we do need to implement it in our practice. Maybe think about adopting a treat and extend approach in which the patient is not burdened by injectionless visits and to somehow find some time to, to discuss with the patient the situation, be it by yourself or by one of your assistants or by a different health professional, depending on the clinic, on the system, on the country, and, and on the health system. It was a very interesting chat, Richard. And as we come to a close, can you just give us one take-home message for the listeners? Yes, thanks, Anas. It's a great, uh, great talk. I feel that the most important thing is to recognize that our patients are, require holistic care. They have a life, a social circumstance, and the treatment needs to fit in that to make it acceptable. Thank you. That was an excellent summary. So thank you again, Richard. That's all we have time for today. So I would like to thank the listeners and, of course, my very special, uh, excellent guest, Professor Richard Gale. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe. You can also go back to our first episode where Richard and myself chat about how to further motivate our patients to be adherent or give some of the other past episodes a listen to hear other retinal experts delve into ways to engage and empower our patients and a brief history of patient expectations in neovascular macular degeneration through the 21st century. A lot of data in these chats. Look out for future podcast episodes coming soon. And thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.